podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to Exposure. I'm Abby Newton. Now, it's slowly becoming less populated on campus as students finish up their finals and head home for or abroad for the summer. However, tonight on Exposure, we are bustling with activity. Tonight, we have a special report on the use of social media on a college campus. We talk with communication professors Steve McCormick and Kelly Morrison about this college communication. So what are your thoughts about this crave of social media? Yeah, why do you feel like we have to prove that, you know, people are in a relationship, people went to this place with a picture? You know, I feel like it's this overall, like, look, I'm having so much fun in college, here's me doing that. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's almost this... There is that element. Yeah. Right? I am successful, attractive, and popular. Right. Why do well, we and exciting. have to prove that? Exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's... I think there are two sides to this. Part of it is the generation you've grown up in. Sure. Where you have these things out in the public forum and people get to like them. I mean, we we didn't have this. I think there is that aspect. I think there's exhibitionistic aspect to it, um, where look at me, look at me, and incredibly exciting adventures I'm engaged in. Um, the flip side, and, and to push back and argue the positive side, is it allows a um, a pretty easy, comparatively effortless exposure to track people's lives who you do care about, but some better long distance or whatever. Um, our son, our oldest son recently took down his Facebook cause he was sick of it. Um, and, and I found uh, the loss significant in my own life because I'm not a, um, helicopter parent who was checking his Facebook every night to see what he's doing at college. But, um, but every couple of days, just seeing photos of, of him out with his friends or whatever on my newsfeed was nice. Mm-hmm. It, it allowed that point of contact. And so I could see kind of what was going on and have that gone. I, I, I felt the loss, sure. um, and so see, I actually, think it's worse for me to see him because then I miss him more. That's interesting. <laughs> so it's you know, so but, so we're texting, right, or, or calling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but I, um, yeah, I actually hate <laughs> seeing him on Facebook. <laughs> Makes it too vivid. I get sad. Yeah. <laughs> with Facebook, with Twitter, you your relationships become almost official these days. So you know, you well, have sure. like Facebook official, official well, relationships. Yeah. Of course. Facebook official friends. Well, I think the the use of relationship status is a real bonding ritual. It's a micro ritual because it's just a click of a mouse uh, or a point of a finger. And yet it's so important. But it's become iconic. You know, mm-hmm. are we um, – people make it official that we've broken up. People make it official that we're a couple. And if, you, if you're not officially in a relationship on Facebook, you're not. Um, and so there is that. And I, I find that intriguing and interesting. I think it's kind of cool because it, it does provide really your generation with the opportunity to have a – Again, micro-momentary in terms of the actual event itself, bonding ritual that isn't engaged or isn't having to run around and tell everybody we're going out or whatever the term is. We're, we're Facebook official. Um, but the friends thing is very different because the, the research we have on friendship and Facebook friends suggests there's a very small correlation. 
um, put differently, most people are not friends with their Facebook friends. Could you call them um, at four in the morning if you needed help? Yeah, yeah there's you, most not. of us. <laughs> most of us have uh, you know hundreds of Facebook friends who we <laughs> who we don't even know and haven't really met, and we're in our case maybe former students or um, acquaintances that we've lost touch with, and we don't. We're not, there's no friendship there, and we also have really good friends who aren't Facebook friends. So there's a very small – the research you know, shows there's a very small correlation between um, Facebook friends and real friends. Um, and, of course, it also shows that big judgments, which is a secondary related issue. Big judgments are made based upon people simply on the number of friends they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Joe Walther um, uh, in our department and Stephanie Tom Tong, a doctoral student, former doctoral student, now professor. Now at Wayne State. Um, at Wayne State yeah. have done research just when the, which they've manipulated aspects of people's Facebook profiles and looked at the impression impact that has on viewers. Um, and number of friends has a, has a pretty significant impact. Uh, There's one, a tipping point. Yeah, once you pass about 350 or so, um, the judgments start to become more negative. It's just, uh, you know, and so if you have a 1,000 friends, delete 700 of them now. Really? Um, <laughs> Wait for the implications for that. <laughs> well, I, if, I, if you, you meet me? – yeah, if you meet somebody and you see they have 1,572 friends, immediately the inferential wheel start turning. This person spends too much on t- time online. They don't have a real life. They friend everybody. They're, they're friend promiscuous um, kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing with, with photos of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, photos of friends uh, have a, have more of an impact on judgments of people's attractiveness than the, um, the their own photos. Wow! So people yeah, well, look- the, but this is the interesting thing, right? And we've we've kind of used this as a fun assignment in our class. You know, kind of a joking field trip to do Facebook field field trip. <laughs> um, don't even have to leave your home to do it. Just look through Facebook pages. Oh yeah, and then try to find something unique. Because everybody looks the same. It's all uniform. Right? They're all happy. They're all smiling. They're with friends. That's very true. Perhaps well, they, in a cool place. It's really <laughs> interesting. Scroll through people's photo albums. Actually, you can scroll through for, for, for lols and just go to the 47th photo and hit like, and then they'll know you're stalking them. <laughs> That's um, the best. <laughs> but but if, you, uh, if you scroll through people's photo albums, just a few different friends, the uniformity in photos is, is, is striking. Striking. It's just – it's actually really kind of spooky. It's like Stepford Wives. Everybody is with groups of friends smiling and oftentimes drinks in hand because everybody's so popular and happy. You never see somebody who has an album and photo after photo is a solitary photo of them looking kind of sullen and unhappy. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. Here's me alone worried about my test. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here I'm standing on the edge of a cliff alone <laughs> looking grim. No, it's everybody with groups of friends and that's because everybody wants to self-present as, as popular and happy and extroverted and, and warm and friendly. It's really – but the end result is, as Kelly said, this kind of Stepford-esque. Mm-hmm. What's well, uniformity? Um, uh, uniformity and in faces in faces it's weird sure what about you know what you were saying in starting relationships how has that changed where you can start a relationship through social media well see that's a big difference where you know in our generation what was the big thing posting a one ad in a newspaper oh yeah <laughs> really that's true. Oh, sure. you know, a newspaper that's you held right. by hand you didn't read on a computer um, but now you've got all these different dating sites which essentially a lot of them appear to be screening according to similarity, right? We'll find your perfect match out there. You know, everybody's screening according to what you look like in terms of your photos, but then they're supposed to match you. And again, you're going to, 
come across the same problems where you can fit on paper, but it doesn't fit mm-hmm. right when you're face to face. But it does allow for obviously more availability, and but it's a service that you're paying for. I mean, I think one of the most important things when you're talking about the dating realm, and especially online dating sites, is there's this un- underlying uh, assumption that much of what people are posting is fraud. And there's a savviness that that people have with that, knowing that it is distortion. But there is now a, a burgeoning literature um, looking at online deception, and especially within things like online dating sites. And everything from distortion on photos to posts about weight and educational level and this kind of thing. Um, it depends on age. There are gender effects. Um, you know, uh, men are more likely to distort, for example, their level of education. Um, uh, both men and women uh, over age uh, 50 will distort age downwards. Um, but uh, consumers of that then, and it isn't so much relevant – there's a, there's some percentage on the college campus, but you get off the college campus, uh, online dating sites are huge. Millions of people are enrolled in these, and we have friends who. Have, well, well, I mean, you're spending all your time these. at work, mm-hmm. and right. if there's, you know, not a really good connections there, then you don't have time sure. to pursue. So it and, does make it more convenient for mm-hmm. sure. And yet, there's so much outright falsehood posted about experiences and and uh, even basics like body size and weight and stuff. And so there's a weird kind of surreal nature to it where the users know that what is being posted isn't necessarily true, but they, but they do this and they want everybody to be honest, but they distort as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so that's an interesting wrinkle to this kind of dance of self-presentation online related to relationships is the degree of false information that's presented about self. Right. But at some point you have to get it offline. And see if it works. Yeah, and which you know, and people kind of presume that there's going to be a discrepancy, and something like eighty to ninety percent of dating service users report having experiences with that discrepancy. That in the, in the first meeting, meeting this person, they don't look at all like wow. what they post themselves to be. It's really high percentage. Well, and there's a, you know, there's a lot to be said just again to come back to basic conversational skills, right? Sure. You can't always be doing an activity together, and, and sometimes you know, if, if you're geographically separated because you're on the road for your job or you're you know, placed in someplace else for six months or military. Um, the conversation voice-to-voice is what's going to keep you together. And now we take a short break. However, we will return to this conversation. You're listening to Impact Exposure on 89FM. Now, it seems as though each month some big new entity for social connection comes to the surface. It started with Facebook, then Twitter, then Snapchat, then Tinder, and the list continues. Our impact reporters each took one of these avenues of communication and broke it down. First, Facebook. 67% of Internet-using American adults have a Facebook, and it is the most used social media network. But why? Miguel Martinez has a story. I log on to my Facebook, expecting the usual notification, and whoop, there it is. A like on a picture of mine. This normally wouldn't be too big of a deal, other than, you know, the small satisfaction you feel when getting a notification, but this like is different. The person who liked my photo is attractive. I feel myself smiling and blushing, and I wonder what this means. Do do they like the picture, or do they like the picture? Was it on their newsfeed, or did they have to creep to find it? Have they liked any other of my pictures? 
Is this like an invitation to chat or is that weird? I mean, I don't really know them that well. We're in a class together and I've like seen them at parties and stuff. So much potential in this one Facebook like. Now, imagine if they'd commented on something or messaged me. I knew I couldn't be the only person who overthought things on Facebook. I mean, certain actions had to mean something, right? Oh, yeah, it's a big deal, because that means they're stalking you in a way. You know, they're at least looking at your picture at some point. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's flattering. It's flattering. I think it's fun, like, just like when my friends like my stuff, because it's like, you just, you just, like, feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, they get excited, too. How about if someone, random person, like, adds you or starts chatting with you? I think it's gross. Like, why are you adding me? I don't know you. So I don't add people I don't know. I think it's creepy, yeah. I don't know why you would, unless you're, like, specifically trying to look at their pictures, I don't know why you'd add somebody randomly. I blocked this guy, and he had seven different profiles, and I wasn't sure which one was which, and I blocked them all. With Impact News, I'm Miguel Martinez. Our very own Will Meineke asked students what they thought of this Facebook official phenomenon. Did you ever message your crush or someone you're romantically interested in on a social media site before you talked to him or her in real life? I did that yesterday. Yeah, she kind of did it yeah. for me. But, because yeah. it's kind of like easier just to put it out there because you most likely wouldn't just do it in person. Like, hey, I kind of like you, that kind of thing. So, yeah. No, definitely not. Because if you can't talk to someone in person, why would you want to be with them? Uh, it, yeah, I would. I would just... If I if I uh, never met them, I'd probably just ask where they were from and stuff, not get too like in depth with what, what questions I ask and stuff. No, no, because that's I don't know. I just feel like that's not normal. Yeah, I feel like, like I definitely have the ability to meet somebody in person. Like I would not be roaming. I would not be able to tell if I was romantically interested in somebody without sure. meeting them in real life. No, I wouldn't do that. I would talk to them in real life first. What do you expect from a significant other on social media? Is it important that they post on your wall or tag you in their tweets? I mean, if you're with them, sure. Like, oh, yeah, it was with so-and-so at so-and-so. But, I mean, it's not like, oh, you didn't post me in your tweet. We're over. I don't expect it. And if they do it, I guess it's nice. But I'm not, like, expecting it because that's kind of, like, needy. Because I don't, I don't, or just in social media in general, I don't need everybody to see what I'm doing. I don't really care. So mm-hmm. it's not like I expect it. If they're using social media a lot that I want to be active in their conversations like if they're doing stuff and we're doing it together like let's say we go somewhere together I want them to say you know go to blah 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 with Ashley or something like that but um yeah it doesn't have to be like oh I'm going with my girlfriend per se or my sweetheart or anything like that but yeah I would expect my name to be in something if he's always on social media yeah what's the significance to you of being in a relationship on Facebook I don't think that's a big deal but it's more of it being known because if I'm brave enough to write someone on a social media network and say, hey, I'm crushing on you, that means someone could possibly do that to my boyfriend, especially if he doesn't have, oh, I'm in a relationship on his page. Yeah. Whether it's just says I'm in a relationship or in a relationship with this person. It doesn't have to have my name, but as long as it says that you're taken somewhere, yeah. then, yeah, it's a big deal, kind of. My thing, unlike you know, how people make things like Facebook official, you have to put, oh my god. You put it on Facebook to make, like, one, the world doesn't care if it's Facebook official. Like, two, does that mean, like, that's how you define your relationship? Like, I wouldn't define that by, like, this be Facebook official. Like, it's what you feel and what you guys, like, do, mm-hmm. you know, with your time. None whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know. Just, it could be anything. It could mean it, different things to different people. So it's it's very, like, fluid, the meaning of it. Does it mean anything if your significant other posts a photo with another girl or guy? 
They have other friends than you, so it's just like, oh my gosh, you're with another girl. I'm sorry, that won't do. You have to delete that picture right now. I'm going to control your life. Just kind of yeah. Ooh, crazy. Yeah. I'm not too controlling. Mm -hmm. They can have other friends. Now, if the picture was like... Him all over her, and like, not oh, she decided to, you know, like, hump her at a party, I mean, I guess um, you should probably rethink your priorities, sir, but like... <laughs> If I don't know them, possibly, I would want to know who that person is. Mm -hmm. That's like if they're hanging out with someone and I don't know who they're hanging out with. Because you don't want your, you don't want your significant other uh, like showing affection. Like it's just, you, know, you don't want everybody looking at them as like a couple. For Impact News, I'm Will Meineke. Are you a fan of pictures? Well, then Snapchat is for you. This is a relatively new app that allows people to take pictures of themselves, their friends, food, and more food. The twist? The friends can only view the picture for up to 10 seconds. In fact, Stephen Rich will take you through the Snapchat experience. Oh, new Snapchat. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Uh, now, what should I send back? Eh, I'll just make a stupid face. And draw some angry eyebrows. It's not bad. I'll let him see it for six seconds. And sent. Snapchat is a smartphone application started in late 2011 with the idea of sharing simple and humorous photos with friends. Now only one and a half years later, people are sending over 20 million snaps every day. However, many people still don't understand what Snapchat even is. I asked MSU social relations and policy major Michael Jenner-Nalik a little bit about Snapchat. Snapchat is an app, simply, but also something a little bit more than that. I think it's visual communication rather mm -hmm. than textual, and I think it really takes it a step further from the simple text message or picture message. To someone who doesn't use Snapchat, the app may seem like just another way to send pictures to your friends. However, many users consider the application to be very different and very fun. I think it's different from a picture text one because you can you can draw on it, and it's like a you can have it appear for a short period of time. So if you did decide to do something a little more risky, um, you can you know only have it on for a few seconds, and that's why I like it. I mean, I can take a picture of myself with a million chins, but. Snapchat takes it the next step where you can have a picture of a million chins with, like, hot dogs flying around your head or pickles. As the designers of the app have stated, the value is in the short term. Because these pictures are only available for a few seconds, more and more students have found themselves snapping to quickly communicate with friends. For Impact News, I'm Stephen Rich. And now we get into the dating and relationship apps. The first being Tinder. This is a sort of who is hot and who is not type game. Impact's Michaela Colonna tells us the story. You open the app and a picture of a person appears on your phone. You swipe to the right if you think they're hot and to the left if not. If two people swipe each other to the right, it's considered to be a match. From there, you are free to chat via messenger. Welcome to Tinder, one of the newest, hottest apps on the market that allows you to meet people in your area. But are people using it just to chat with locals in their area? Or has it also become an inadvertent way of dating? So do you use Tinder? Why or why not? I use Tinder because it's flattering when the people that you like like you back. No, I don't use it because I'm in a long-term relationship and think the idea is a little weird. Yes, I use Tinder because it's a fun app, but I'd never actually consider meeting up with anyone in person. No, I don't use it because I've never really paid attention to dating websites because I've been with someone for a long time. 
Tinder not only allows you to make discreet physical judgments based on a picture, but it also connects two people based on similar tastes and mutual friends. But whether or not it's actually downloaded for dating purposes, many college students seem to be using Tinder for one similar reason. I use Tinder because I want to see how many hot girls are on campus. For Impact News, I'm Michaela Colonna. Ladies, this next one is for you. Lulu is an app that ranks men in a variety of ways. Sounds pretty good, huh? Well, Impact's Lauren Godlusky has the details. A new app has surfaced that allows ladies only to anonymously rate men, called Lulu. You heard correct. Whether you're a friend, an ex-girlfriend, or a hookup, this new dating tool lets ladies anonymously rate and comment on their male friends, exes, or hookups, performances, personality, and overall looks to warn or encourage future daters. There's even a best and worst section among each individual review that features hashtags as comments like hashtag forgets his wallet, hashtag boring, hashtag mothers love him, or hashtag Napoleon complex. Basically, the app lets you get to know your guy by stalking his reviews via your peers' opinions. Junior Tyler Fessler wasn't too fond of it to begin with. I am very skeptical because I... I'm kind of nervous to hear what some of the people say, but for in general, I uh, I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of it. I think it's very uh, demoralizing and I guess very rude towards men that women can bash them or I'd say slander them um, behind their backs and them not be able to see what they say. I actually heard about it uh, like three weeks, probably three weeks ago, um, and like one of my friends, uh, his girlfriend actually looked his up and then chewed him out for things that ex-girlfriends or ex-hookups had said about him. So it was really, really awkward for him, more or less. So whether you consider Lulu creepy or helpful, it may just stick around for quite some time. I'm Lauren Gadleski. Now, students around campus have been anxiously checking a Twitter handle called MSU Crushes. They wait to see if their name, their hair color, their t-shirt, or even their backpack gets called out on this public bulletin board. Impact's Michelle Fagali has a story behind this new communication for Spartans. Looking to voice your secret crushes on campus but afraid to tell them in person? Some students at MSU have created an awesome outlet for us Spartans to anonymously confess our crushes on campus. You just write out a little blurb of who you're crushing on and send it in to the MSU Crushes Twitter page. I was able to have an anonymous direct message conversation with the actual creator of the page. The creator said that they get several outrageous messages every day. They even get a few people who are brave enough to tweet directly at them from their own Twitter page. The people in charge of the page believe that this is a much more effective way of gaining a connection with your crush. They also hope to improve their outlet and find a way to better initiate relationships between people on campus. I talked to students on campus to see if they would actually use this way of communication with their crushes. I think MSU Crushes is pretty funny. It's fun to just scroll down Twitter and see what uh, people aren't brave enough to say to the people in person. I think when people like notice like that they're on it, it like, you know, at least makes them feel good about themselves for a little bit. Even if you can't talk to your crush directly, this Twitter page is a great confidence booster for the people that do get those anonymous crush shoutouts. So go on Twitter, search MSU Crushes, and send them your love interests of the day. You never know what could happen. Meet at the airport. To do what? Mary Hathaway reports. Your flight just landed from Denver to Los Angeles, and now you have a four-hour layover until your flight to Detroit. You have two options. One, try and find free Wi-Fi so you can stream movies to your laptop. Option two, sleep. Or a newer, more controversial secret option three called Meet at the Airport. Meetattheairport.com is a website designed for travelers that are stuck in an airport to make friends or meet a significant other in between flights. Some speculate that this app may be a more sophisticated way to 
kill time in an airport than just introducing yourself to the stranger sitting beside you. To use this site, you are asked to enter which airport you are located at, and Meet at the Airport will find others in the database that are in the same location. This site allows you to browse through their users and find people who share your common interests. Their tagline is, Meet new and exciting people at the airport. Never be bored waiting for your flight again. I recently asked some MSU students what they think about this new social media site. Um, I'm Alyssa. I'm a sophomore. Probably not. I don't know. I think it's a little weird. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of creepy. <laughs> I'm Rachel Flansky and I'm a freshman. Probably not. It just doesn't like seem like something I would do, like even if I had a layover for like eight hours or something. I'm Alex Pantoja, a uh, sophomore. Yeah, maybe meet a friend because when you're at the airport, it can get kind of boring if you're alone, so it'd be a, a good tool to use to get to know people um, who may be from your same hometown. I'm Lauren, I'm a sophomore. No, I've heard too many creepy things about those <laughs> sites. <laughs> For Impact News, I'm Mary Hathaway. Now, Craigslist has been notorious as a place to go if you're looking for something, maybe even a relationship, a hookup, or a significant other. Impact Sierra Rachowski reports. Have you ever seen someone you thought you had a strong connection with but never got a chance to ignite the fire? Craigslist Misconnections is the place for you. In 2000, creators noticed many I Saw You ads appearing and decided to create a forum based on local posts from residents inquiring about possible interests, that is, if the feeling was mutual. Freshman Jamie Seppinen and sophomore Jalen Ron both have heard of the website, but agree it isn't something they would try. Um, personally, I haven't used it, but I've heard of a lot of people using it on campus, and it seems kind of weird, but it could be a good way to meet people. Yeah, I've heard of Craigslist misconnections, and I don't think I use it. Although most have thought of it to be considered creepy, others have found future spouses and what some claim to be their soulmates, according to the Huffington Post. For Impact News, I'm Sierra Shafsky. Now, sugar daddies used to just be a sweet candy, but not anymore. Impact's Carmen Scruggs talks about how this sweet has got a little spicy. There are many ways to pay for college, including scholarships, grants, and loans. But a lesser-known and increasingly popular method among some college students is through sugar daddies. If you aren't familiar with the phrase, a sugar daddy is known as a significantly older man who provides financial services in return for companionship or sex. A sugar daddy site called SeekingArrangement.com has increased its membership by 58% from 2011 to 2012, according to a release. 44% of the over 2 million memberships include college students. But where does Michigan State fall into this? MSU is ranked 16th overall for fastest-growing sugar baby colleges, with around 300 members. I asked fellow Spartans what they thought of the idea of having a sugar daddy in MSU's current rank. I'm Joey Seneschal, and I'm a sophomore. I've never heard of sugar daddies paying for girls' educations before. It kind of sounds messed up to me. My name is Justin Rowe and I'm a sophomore. If you don't have any other means to get through school and you have to do something, I guess that's okay, but in every single other uh, regard, I would always, always say, no way, that's terrible. Both parties are, in a sense, lying to each other going through this and it's just kind of shocking to see for sure. For Impact News, I'm Carmen Scruggs. You're listening to Impact Exposure on 89FM. And we return to communication professors Steve McCormick and Kelly Morrison to continue our discussion about social media. And what about, you know, because 
right now, social media is still fairly new. You know, and our generation had a time when we didn't use social media. You know, we were born in a time where social media wasn't as prevalent. So That's what true. about the generations who are born with social media right there, you know, from the get-go? I personally think that, uh, that people tend to recognize the irreplaceability of that face-to-face contact. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from the research, you know, which Kelly and I teach about, Uh, about and talk about a lot in our classes, the research on empathy. You simply um, can't read somebody's moods, emotions, and and ultimately empathize with them if you don't have access to those those visual cues, the the facial cues and vocal tone. Um, You can empathize a bit on the phone, Mm -hmm. um, but it's very difficult without access to face and voice. So if you're looking at text-based communication, uh, what we see in, in you know, the research documents, people have very grave difficulty empathizing with others. And the consequence is that feeling of connection, um, you know, kind of emotional connection. I feel what you're feeling, which is really important in the early stages of relationships. So I think even kids that are growing up uh, uh, extremely familiar with this technology still – they take it for granted that I can connect with you in, in a multitude of ways very rapidly. I can learn a ton of information about you online before I even talk to you. But on the other hand, I think they still recognize the fact that, that face-to-face has, has its place mm-hmm. and, and, and provides a special type of information. I have concerns you know, increasingly over the years about people's ability to engage in a conversation with someone that they do not know, mm-hmm. right? The, the small talk skills. You know, how do you, how do you keep conversation going? What questions do you ask if I can't ask you about something I read on Facebook? When we were undergrads on campus, right, the big thing was to have a Sony Walkman. <laughs> you'd play a cassette tape <laughs> and you'd have earbuds. And, but, but you'd still be looking, right? You'd be walking around campus. Your eyes would be up. Mm-hmm. And You're now if you look at people on – and that's how you meet people. It's like, wow, there's that cute person. I wonder if they'll be here tomorrow at 1020, right? Yeah. right? So, but, but now so much of when we walk around campus because I have to walk to my, camp, to my classes every day, um, that's not what you see. You see a lot of the looking down, oh, a down. lot of the, the earbuds in, a lot of you know the phones out. And well, I was laughing because when Kelly was saying this, I was thinking that the back in the olden days um, with cassette you know, with, with, the, with the cassette tapes and Walkman, it was great because you could have the the earphones in, but then it made you look like you were focusing on something else. So you could walk along, head up, and actually scope people out, you know, check people out. And your head but, would be bopping to But, but you're bopping you know, your head, and it's like, no, I'm not really checking you out. I'm listening to this music. I'm but now checking you out. But now people are just, of course, head down, and everybody's looking at their sunglasses phones. on, you're good. You know, there's, be- like- there's beautiful sunsets and scenery and everything, and people are just head down looking at their mm-hmm. apps. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of fuss that's made about social media and the you know, the new generation, new technologies, and how they're changing everything. And what we see both in our research and in working with students on papers, you know, related to relationships and, and the like, um, is that it isn't so much that everything is fundamentally different. It's that what these media allow for is a radically amplified degree of connectivity. So, uh, and, and, and that's mm-hmm. different. So, it, you know, you go back 30 years to our era when we were in college, um, all the same things were happening in terms of rumor networks and gossip and people, you know, saying that so-and-so had done this. But it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't that rapid. And it wasn't posted publicly. Um, and there's also just the degree of connectivity. You, you, you see students now, for example, and their friends and romances are, in effect, connected 24-7. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, you know, even when you're asleep, people know what you're doing and people tweet, oh, I'm going to sleep now. And so there's this degree of, of everybody knowing what everybody's doing all the time that's um, fairly intrusive. Um, but it also means that information is just going to spread through networks with a rapidity that it, that it didn't used to have, I mean, speed connectivity yeah you know you're at a party you're at some social event or just you're somewhere you meet someone and say you kind of you know you, you think you have this developed a liking for them the first thing you do is exchange phone numbers and then it's almost like you have this pressure to develop this texting relationship i was thinking a few years ago where our son you know i pick him up from a dance and he's talking about how he met this really cute girl and i said oh well you're gonna you're gonna call her and it's just this pause and then this in this you know well, looking at you like you're an idiot in, in, in <laughs> incredibly disdainful tone he's like i'm gonna text her <laughs> And so we're not going to share my voice with her. No, we're not, not going to talk. We're going to text. And sure enough, you know, the you know, thumbs are going. Yeah. And, um, it's almost like, you know, you have to develop this relationship over texting before you sure. really know before them. Before I let you have my voice. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> well, well but, but, but think about the trajectory there. What's really happening underlying that is we're exchanging baseline information about each other, moving in this trajectory toward, you know, getting to a feeling where we feel more comfortable and judging whether we're attracted to the person. And those basics uh, uh, haven't changed at all. What's changed instead is the the technology that that allows us to do that again with greater I, I speed. I don't know. I don't know if I'm agreeing with you. Well, I think there's <laughs> I, I think it's certainly greater speed. Um, but but and, think about the conversation, right? In, in the old days, there was no texting, so there was you would go right to the conversation, right, over the phone, voice to voice, and you could tell a lot in terms of the synchrony and the dynamics of the conversation, right? If you hit that three second pause. A couple, many, two times, you know, too many times. But see, I would argue that you wouldn't, you wouldn't go right to the conversation. What did you do? The first thing you'd go is you go to your friends and you try well, and gather data. At da- the point that no, you no, had but, but, the, the phone call. But, but realize how it's different. So we used to, we used to go to our friends and, and gather as much data as we can. And now we go do to you know Facebook right. and mm, gather as much data as we can. Then we kept across that threshold where we're actually going to talk. But realize and, that's what's missing over texting, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So you don't have the dynamics of how we talk. And that can be a deal breaker in mm-hmm. a relationship. I mean, it absolutely can be. It's like we have nothing to talk about now. Mm-hmm. It's just silence. Well, and people do innately, to go back to the earlier point, recognize the um, the empathy, the degree of connection, whether it's phone or face-to-face, that's different from text-based. And one of the interesting things we see linked with this is because there is that greater emotional connection um, that people will shy away from it if they don't want it. Mm-hmm. So if I recognize that there's a problematic encounter coming up, I'm going to dump you or, or I'm going to, I want to tell you something hateful or express unhappiness with you or whatever it is, um, we actually see people trend toward social media now. And people on the receiving end go, how could you dump me via text or, or Facebook or how could you just, you know, uh, back in the old days it was leave this, leave this voicemail, you know, when you knew I wasn't going to be there. Well, because it's cognitively easier to do so. I don't have to see your reaction. I don't have to hear your reaction in real time. I can just send this message to you and walk away from it and go, oh, see, consequence free. I just hurt you or dumped on you or dumped you. Well, again, thank you. This is communications professor Steve McCormick and Kelly Morrison. You're listening to Impact Exposure. People would consider East Lansing a college town before it be considered one of the arts. However, with the construction of the Broad Art Museum and a few other initiatives in the community, there could be a new outlook for the arts in East Lansing. 
Impact's Miguel Martinez reports. East Lansing, a city of arts. There, on the corner of Abbott and Grand River, a vibrant green banner makes this very bold statement. East Lansing's a city of many things. Michigan State, the Spartans, Big Ten sports, parties, and even academics. But arts? I wasn't too sold on this. And apparently, neither were many MSU students. Um, I have no idea. I've never really heard that before. It's never, you don't think of it as the city of arts. Yeah. Never heard of it that way. I think we're better known for other things. I think with the new museum, it could be accurate, but I haven't really heard of it like that. I think that it does offer students something that's artistic, but I think other cities tend to offer more, such as like Grand Rapids. I don't think East Lansing's known to be a city that's very creative or artistic. MSU students Jake, Jenny, Neelam, Liz, and Taylor all had similar thoughts to mine. Yeah, we have a giant spaceship-looking art museum. There are a few art festivals, some film festivals, and some statues and works of art spread around the city. The MSU campus is beautiful, but does that necessarily make East Lansing a city of the arts? Was there something I was overlooking? Where else could students find art? Maybe arts and humanities senior David Clausen would know the answer. There's always something going on at Scene Metro Space. I really wish if I could go back and do it all over again, I probably would have taken the time to at least wander down by that part of town. But does that make us a city of the arts? I think that there's a lot of potential there. I think that uh, the connection between the university and the community is something that really needs to be strengthened and explored. Um, And I think that that's maybe the key um, to making East Lansing a city of the arts. Turns out Michigan State University has a lot more to offer students when it comes to art than what many of us believed. The month of April alone offers students exposure to poetry as it celebrates National Poetry Month. Stephanie Glazer, the director of the RCAH Center for Poetry, explained to me how they were celebrating this month through events such as Poetry in Motion. Poetry in Motion started in 1992 in New York. It's a national initiative run by the Poetry Society of America. Uh, The program here in East Lansing is actually the first program to be run in Michigan. In short, what the program is, um, is short excerpts of poems coupled with graphic art put on public transit. Stephanie mentioned they also had a spring poetry festival happening in the month of April, beginning with the first reader, Lee Young Lee, a famous Chinese-American poet out of Chicago. They had many more impressive performances throughout the month. The art exposure doesn't stop with poetry. An obvious addition to the East Lansing art scene was the opening of the Eli and Edith Broad Art Museum last November. Since then, the Broad has attracted thousands of visitors from all over the world. Tammy Fortin, the curatorial program manager at the museum, believes DeBroad has a lot to offer everyone, including contemporary art with rotating exhibitions, as well as other public programs such as films and lectures. These programs draw in more than just the students. It's interesting. When you build um, a museum like this in a community, you're going to start to get interesting people from the arts coming to your, to your town or your city. Um, aside from, you know, even aside from the artists who are international in scope. You might have an artist from Iran visiting or an artist from Pakistan. Um, And along with that, you'll have a different demographic of people coming to check out what's going on at the museum. So I think it's a very, it's sort of putting a stamp on East Lansing as a place to, to actually go and look at some high caliber art. Okay, okay. The university has many artistic things to offer the community. But wait, the cultural exposure doesn't just limit itself to MSU. All over Lansing and East Lansing, different organizations plan events and provide innovative art opportunities for everyone. The Michigan Institute of Contemporary Arts is a nonprofit that puts on festivals in Old Town Lansing, such as the Lansing Jazz Fest, the Michigan Mosaic Music Festival, and the Old Town's Blues Fest. It also has the MICA Gallery, which features many diverse artists, 
East Lansing has seen Metrospace, a venue that hosts art shows, concerts, and other kinds of performing arts every weekend. And coming up is the 50th annual East Lansing Art Festival taking place in May. With Impact News, I'm Miguel Martinez. Michigan State University is the first land-grant institution in this nation, and agriculture has been intertwined in our school's history. Impact's Mary Hathaway had the opportunity to experience this agriculture firsthand. Most students at Michigan State University never stray far from Grand River Road. All the classes and dorms are in a central area, so many students never see the point of exploring the rest of MSU's large campus. But a few days ago, I was lucky enough to be invited to a hidden gem of Michigan State University, the MSU Student Organic Farm. Upon pulling up to the farm, I saw about 10 different white huts, each housing many different types of plants and soil. Students and faculty alike were rushing about, tending their own area. And every person I saw had a broad smile across their face, clearly enjoying the work that they were doing. Then, just behind the white huts, in a pen all their own, were two very large and very pregnant pigs. Lori Thorpe, and I'm the director of the RISE program, Residential Initiative on the Study of the Environment, and I also have an appointment in Community Sustainability or at the CARS department. They're going to give birth to piglets that are going to weigh... Two hmm, to three pounds. Small. And so that first 24 to 48 hours, these two, the piglets and the mamas, are just getting used to each other. These are, And also these are first time, it's called first parity, the first time that these gilts or mothers have given birth. So it's a first time experience for them and, of course, a first time experience for the piglets. This program is heavily dependent on students, but it is not just students that are majoring in livestock. There are over seven different colleges represented in the program that is farrowing these animals. I'm Dale Roseboom. I'm in the animal science department, professor there. I'm also an extension specialist and work with farmers around the state. Uh, we've got students that are part of the organic farmer training program here. So there's 15 students or so in that program, and they're involved. Then there's a group of students that work part-time out here that are called the crew and so they're students but they're employed but they're part of the project and so I think dozens of students this project reaches that far. This group of students must be dedicated to the animals they are caring for. When the time gets closer for the piglets to be born students will begin a rotation to look after the animals. And the way we do it here in this organic system is that we have all those wonderful students Dale and I were just talking about come out and they're going to pull two-hour shifts. Some of them are going to take the 2 a.m. shift, but we'll do back-to-back monitoring of the mamas just before they start to birth and then um, for 48 hours afterward. Some people may think it's odd for non-organic farming majors to take part in a class like this, but Thorpe says there is a basic link between this experience and every person on earth. We all eat, and we all eat multiple times to the day, and and most of us are meat eaters, not all, and I've got multiple vegan and vegetarian students also on this project. And, And what they get out of this is they start to think about their ethics associated with eating. Most students don't have that opportunity. After five weeks, the mothers and piglets will be divided from one another. Um, That's not one of Lori's favorite events, weaning the separation, because it causes some angst uh, between the two. The piglets not, because they're going to be on different food. But the sows will miss their babies for a day or two, but then life goes right on. Once the pigs have fulfilled their jobs here at MSU, they will be sold to a local Michigan farmer. One of the main goals of this program is to support local farms, so they will sell these pigs to be bred again at a former MSU student's farm. With the return of the school year next fall, 20 squealing piglets will be running around MSU Student Organic Farm. Staff and students alike are counting the moments until these new members of the MSU family arrive. For Impact News, I'm Mary Hathaway. You're listening to Impact Exposure. 
floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> hey, didn't we uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you because I <coughs> thought maybe we could... Uh, would you ever want to... Um, I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. That's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh, sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. Ew. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Or at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89 FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. Wells Hall on Michigan State's campus, students can find the Red Cedar River, a plethora of ducks, and the Wells Hall preacher. Impact Sonia Treeweiler gives us the story. Much is happening outside of the popular Wells Hall campus building. Students gulping coffee while reading their books outside of Starbucks, dragging down cigarettes before their language exams, and lying in the grass trying to grab some sunlight before having to move back indoors. Nearby, the ducks test how closely they can approach people for their food from the International Center, while students bike, longboard, rollerblade, walk, and run the sidewalks of this busy crossroads. But some days, in the center of all of this activity, comes a voice not unheard by anyone in the vicinity. Number two, the goal is in preaching the gospel. This is the Wells Hall preacher, who, as it turns out, is named Michael. He and his wife founded Soul Ministries International, who have been representing the Wells Hall preachers for quite a while now. I started lifting my voice and preaching in this area in 2003. So, mostly, there have been some who, who, who travel the country and come at different times and have come before I was in Christ or preached. But in terms of the regular preaching, usually it's been uh, us or those we've known, brethren or friends of ours. I also wanted to ask him about his affiliation with other campus groups. If, if you're talking about the actual, okay, Ani, go ahead and preach. If you're talking about the actual organizations, I've talked before in the past to people from Campus Crusade from Christ, Chi Alpha, or uh, maybe InterVarsity, Spartan Christian Fellowship. Uh, the, maybe the people from the Muslim Student Center have said uh, they want to bring imams out or having a debate. That's fine. People, atheists, that's the atheists, maybe there's an atheist center, some student group, they've come over before. So yeah, they talk to me. I, I listen to what they say and I give them the gospel. Well, there's, well, there's not an, an, an affiliation. After walking inside Wells Hall, you may notice some friendly-looking people that are regularly sitting behind a desk during the day. You see a lot of hypocrisy in churches, um, and people seem to appreciate Jehovah's Witnesses for practicing what they preach, because we do live the lifestyle that we teach people. And so that seems to draw, you know, if they haven't heard of Jehovah's Witnesses, they ask, you know, why, what makes you different, and, um, you know, those kind of things. And they're just curious, like Amber said. Yeah, that's kind of funny, because um, many students... You know, back home, 
you know, we, we're known for our preaching work and going to people's doors. And, you know, mom and dad at home maybe answered the door and turned us away. So now that the kids are away from home, they're curious, you know, why, why did they close the door? So kind of sometimes out of curiosity, they come to find out, well, what's this all about? These people sitting behind the desk are Jehovah's Witnesses. So what do they do differently from the Wells Hall preacher? People have seen the Wells Hall preacher for many years, um, and not to, you know, condemn them or any way, but, you know, it's, we, we try to be more scriptural, and that seems to draw people more. We'll get a lot of, hey, thank you for not screaming at us, or, hey, I appreciate what you're doing, and things like that. So we've had a very good, positive response from it. In addition to the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian student group The Furnace agrees that a kinder, more loving approach is more effective than the abrasive nature of the Wells Hall preacher. He goes out and he kind of like preaches this message of hate, and, and so people want to sort of, again, give the counter side of that, that like this is not a representation of all Christians. Um, and so like they don't want that to be like the taste that is left in people's mouths, I think. That was Katie Hoover, one of the student leaders of The Furnace. Because, yeah, I think that he represents a very small minority of Christians. However, it's amongst, like, the loudest in the group, you know? So, like, that's the image that people tend to be left with. She was telling me about how this organization decided to make T-shirts that say, I'm sorry, across the front, to wear while standing next to the Wells Hall preacher. As part of a national movement originally for LGBT acceptance, the shirts demonstrate that they don't agree with this preacher's style. But who exactly is The Furnace? I'm part of a group on campus called The Furnace. It's a prayer group. Um, yeah, and so basically what they do is just like open to the different Christian um, ministries on campus like to come together and pray together. With The Wells Hall Preacher, The Jehovah's Witnesses, The Furnace, and plenty of other Christian campus ministries, MSU has given a wide breadth of religion on campus. The Wells Hall Preacher, though, did ask if he could sign off with a single message. The quote to some of the messages, obey Jesus, free from sin or burn in hell. With your impact news, I'm Sonia Treeweiler. As parking meters and prices beat on vehicles across campus, there's one popular strategy around the parking puzzle that students are taking. Impact's Alex Sharg reports. As many East Lansing residents begin their daily errands or commute to jobs and classes, there's one financial cost that often lies, parking. But there's one motor vehicle that won't necessarily break your bank in the parking lot, and it has a license plate too, a 50 to 150 cc motor scooter or a 50 cc moped. Campus Scooter, located off Clippert Street in Lansing, is a local hotspot to purchase a 100 plus mile per gallon motor scooter, and as mechanic Craig Clayton explains, it's a growing trend across the community. You no, know, we get probably as many women as we do guys. Tennis players, a um, couple of hockey players, as far as women go. Yeah, well, I get the football teams in here too. We got Deion Sims, and you know, we got a few football players too. Matter of fact, from my understanding, Jeff Daniels came down here with his son and bought one. $15 covers moped registration for three years, which grants parking privileges on sidewalks and bike racks. But why is it fair to have free parking for a moped, but not for a motorcycle or a larger engine motor vehicle? Fellow campus scooter mechanic Chris Einzor, and he has an answer. Again, it's the loopholes with the rules and re regulations of the lawmakers and stuff like that. So, I mean, eventually they're going to catch on to it. And, then, I mean, I, really, if you can park it at a bike rack, you should be able to park it on a sidewalk.
For Impact News, I'm Alex Shark. Impact Sierra Rashalski reports on the culture and prevalence of rape on Michigan State's campus. According to CrisisConnection.org, one of three women will be a victim of rape over the course of their four years here at Michigan State University, with 90% of them knowing their rapist. Thankfully, MSU offers several programs to assist in these cases. The Office of Inclusion is taking action around campus to spread the word of prevention by posting graphic posters depicting situations that make students rethink the definition of rape. Bianca Segura, an advocacy coordinator from the Office of Sexual Assault, says the statistics about rape on campus are alarming. She said there is a real need for programs to prevent them. Statistics currently one in three women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. One in five men will be assaulted as well. Um, sexual assault is one of the biggest crimes on MSU campus. Unfortunately, is not people don't understand the dynamics of it. So within sexual violence, there's a lot of myth perpetration in the sense of if she was drinking, it was her fault. If um, he or she was in a relationship with someone, then that person in a relationship has the right to sex when they don't. Like say they start um, having an intimate relationship and they decide to change their mind, it's that person's fault because they should have never put themselves in the situation. But at the end of the day, it's the victim fault. The fault falls on the um, perpetrator and not on the victim. And if our society could learn that, then we could take some steps forward. All first-year students that attend MSU are required to take a sexual awareness class through the Sexual Assault and Relationship Violence Prevention Program, or SARV, about rape and relationships. Freshman Carly Anderson participated in SARV this fall. Um, I thought it was informational, but a little bit excessive, a little bit too long. Um, I learned things, but it wasn't anything that I didn't already know. Um, it more like shook me up. There was like surprising facts and oh my gosh this many people get raped on campus um and i mean it's a serious issue but it's not like it, it's never affected me so I, I don't have a super personal connection to it um and i think it's important to educate students about you know rape and how to be safe and all that but there's like a line and it just like four hours was a long time so Sophomore peer advocator Patrick Neuter says rape hasn't personally affected him, but he believes there are places on campus where it is most prevalent than others. Well, personally, rape has not affected me or my friends on campus at MSU at all. Um, you always hear stories in the news about you got to watch out for it and stuff, but I've never had any experiences with that. I've been warned and stuff from my parents mostly, which could just be a scare tactic, but... Uh, frats and sometimes sororities they get into the most of the issues like that some of it's a lot of it's uh roofing on the date rape drug and other things are like hazing and whatnot but for the most part it hasn't affected me at all with this issue taking priority quickly especially on college campuses the office of sexual assault and sarv hope that these statistics will drop rapidly with the education of students about the cause and effects of rape culture According to Segura, the Sexual Assault Office is looking for volunteers this summer to assist in advocacy at Spare Hospital. You can log on to safe.sexualassault.msu.edu to enroll today. For Impact News, I'm Sierra Shavsky. On April 13th, Spartans around the globe and around our university participated in the Global Day of Service, in which they stood side by side and helped the community grow. Impact Stephen Rich has the story. From Beijing to right here in Lansing, this April, Spartans worldwide decided they wanted to make a difference in their communities. On Saturday, April 13th, MSU students and alums celebrated the first ever Spartan Global Day of Service. Kim Kittleman, the Director of Alumni Engagement, told us how the event got its start. 
The Spartan Global Day of Service started as an initiative within the Alumni Association National Board of Directors. I work with what we call the Engagement Committee, uh, which is comprised of motivated alumni volunteers around the country um, that serve on our national board. And they wanted to do, uh, for quite some time, a service day that was global. And all the pieces came together, and we were able to, to really get some teeth behind the project. Although MSU alumni groups have a long history of giving back to their communities, this is the first year that MSU has hosted a national day to give back. Kim explains. So it's not uncommon for our alumni groups and clubs to do service projects, but uh, it's the first time we've had the opportunity to, to really capture it in a day. The Black Alumni of Lansing joined in on this year's Global Day of Service. Richard Lewis talked about their project. Currently, uh, what happened for the Global Day of Service is that the Black alumni has volunteered to um, clean up um, and paint a community room inside the Let's Community Center. Um, Let's Community Center is a community center located in Lansing. We joined the Black alumni on April 13th to see how the project went. Laura Baltimore, the president of the Lansing chapter of the Black alumni, spoke with us. We have been involved in this MSU Global Day of Service by organizing the community room, and then we also have had members who are painting. So we think it's been a great day. It's been very important um, to be involved in this global aspect of giving back to the community. The event brought in many MSU alumni, including Ann Wilson, class of 92. I heard about Spartan Day of Service and wanted to help out. I live in Lansing and think this is a great idea to help clean up the community center. Members of the community center also worked side by side with the Spartans. My name is Nehemiah Powell. They call me Jake the Painter. <laughs> Jake told us that he really appreciated the support the Spartans gave him. Yeah, you know, I was going to get on uh, on the computer and tell some people, ask some people, could they come and help and donate their time? But uh, since Milt told me that uh, some people from Michigan State was going to come here and help me, and then I was proud of that. I was just waiting till this day come. <laughs> it's a blessing to me because I don't have to do it all by myself. The MSU Alumni Association kicked off the event this year with over 80 projects all across the world. And Ms. Kittleman told us that this event was only the beginning. But if the participants feel good about what they've done and that that is connected to the feeling of what, it's, what it means to be a Spartan, it's, it is a success in my book. Um, and I think that that perpetually will will increase the number of volunteers because they're going to go tell their friends about it. But what a great time that they had um, serving and volunteering with their fellow Spartans. And I think we will grow exponentially next year. For Impact News, I'm Stephen Rich. And that concludes our show this evening. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to our producer, Gabrielle Saldivia, our assistant producer, Will Meineke. Also, thank you to our station manager, Aaron Young, and our general manager, Ed Glazer. Keeping you informed and bidding you farewell until next week, this is Abby Newton, Impact 89 FM. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.